What's going on, everybody? This is Dr. Adam Rindy, and welcome to the One Thing Podcast. I'm delighted to bring a special guest to you who is a master's level nutritionist, licensed nutritionist, and also a licensed mental health professional. Her name is Mackenzie Sajon. She practices in the Seattle area at Inner Nutritionist. Her website is innernutritionist.com, and you can learn more about Mackenzie on that website. I do want to say that she is a expert in helping people develop a healthy relationship with food. There's a lot of nutritionists, including Mackenzie, who know the biochemistry of nutrition, which diet is probably best for a certain medical condition, and can walk you through the science of nutrition. But there's very few that can help you develop a healthy relationship with food. I found Mackenzie because of this special skill and also because she's truly aligned with this path. She will help us in today's episode understand how to break cycles of disordered eating patterns and also reunite with food in a, in a positive way. This was one of my favorite episodes that we've done so far. I wanted to have this topic on my, episode, on my podcast for quite some time and I'm excited to share this with you. Without further ado, I'm going to welcome our guest, Mackenzie Sajon. Mackenzie, welcome to the One Thing Podcast. I'm really excited to speak with you today. Mm, it's so nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah so we, we were connecting today because um, you have an area of practice that think affects a lot of people. Um, You're a nutritionist, but you're sort of a nutritionist that's taken an approach that's very unique. And I just was wondering if you could just share with us sort of how you would encapsulate and describe your your practice of nutrition. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my nutrition certainly, or my practice certainly evolves around nutrition. Um, I think for many of us who have been on a nutrition journey and the ups and downs of nutrition journey, um, know that um, it's not just about the food. And so what I love about my practice, and I do love my work very much, um, is that we get to talk about the food, but we also get to talk about what's underneath the food. Um, The way we relate to food is oftentimes the way we relate to life. Um, and so, uh, I bring my master's level of nutrition to my practice. So I'm also a, a mental health counselor. I knew that going to school for just nutrition wasn't going to cover it. We also needed to cover the psychology, uh, around food as well as the emotional nourishment. And I'd say even the spiritual component, uh, the spiritual component is really something that helped move the needle for me. Um, when I was struggling with food and body, which lasted almost two decades. So it's not a coincidence that I'm in this work. And uh, what I get to focus on every day with my clients is um, definitely a a nutrition plan, but uh, more so uh, a nourishment plan, Mm -hmm. Um, how to find food freedom. A lot of us are entrenched in uh, the mainstream diet culture which flat out just really doesn't work for us. Uh, So I have a lot of clients that are coming to me looking for an alternative, a non-diet approach. 
Um, and what we end up doing is just that. Uh, we do a lot of intuitive eating. Uh, we're also looking at uh, building mindfulness skills, uh, connecting with our body. What does that actually mean? There's a lot of resistance to connecting with our body. A lot of us are walking around um, disconnected from our bodies. Uh, so we're creating a lot of tools and skills around that, um, as well as um, I, I notice many of my clients are coming also with a sense of uh, anxiety. Uh, so there's a lot of healing around our, our anxiety as well uh, that seems to coexist with um, struggles around food and body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think one of the things I want to do is just kind of put a little bit of a a fence around what we're talking about today, just mm -hmm. so people are understand the perspective that you know we we're going to discuss is that you know there's there's clear eating disorders that um, may represent some of the the topics that we're talking about. So like bulimia and anorexia, and we're we're talking today more about a spectrum of people who maybe are not on the extreme end of having. Um, disordered eater, eating patterns, but maybe functioning and functioning in society with their family, but it's it's more of an internal struggle that maybe people don't know is going on in the outside. Yeah, and thank you for that fence. I think that you've you've spoke to it very well. Um, like I shared with you earlier, most of my clients are very high functioning. Um, and they are on the spectrum spectrum of eating disorders, but they aren't diagnosed um, per se. Um, and so there's a lot of internal struggle, like you said, that maybe no one even knows about, um, not even some of their closest friends or family members, but it's something that uh, they get to come to me to work on. And I just get to hold this space for them to uh, you know, work through that struggle. Yeah. So let, one of the questions I want to start off with is, is what are people really wanting from food? Like what, what, why would, what's the struggle about? Hmm. I mean, great question. Ooh, I, uh, so I have about, uh, 20 things running through my mind. So <laughs> I can, what are I, people wanting? I always, from food? I always cut to the chase. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love it. I think it's great. So I'll cut to the chase right back. I mean, I, it is our innate, innateness to be connected to food close to procreating, um, we also need to eat to survive. So it's a connection that is essential. Um, we currently live in a culture that's quite disconnected from our food and quite disconnected from our relationship to food. So I think that we see on like kind of a macro level, there's a lot of dysfunction taking place. We're quite disconnected. So what are people wanting from food? They're wanting to feel more connected to food. They're wanting to feel, um, more connected to themselves. There's a lot of barriers to that. Um, so on a macro level, that's what I would say. I'd also say, what are people wanting from food? That What also comes up for me is food can also become a coping mechanism uh, at any point in life. For some of us, it's very early. Um, but food is this uh, placeholder of uh, a way to uh, gain a sense of control. Yeah. to gain a sense of, okay, if I have a, um, you know, a, 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 like, let's say a, a diet or a rigid meal plan, um, I can um, throw all my effort and energy into this. 
And as long as I have this to worry about and think about, then maybe I don't have to think about some really hard things, Mm -hmm. like really hard emotions, or that I don't like my job, or that my marriage needs attending to, or that I just started law school, or that I'm in existential questions that are unresolved. Um, And so food becomes this uh, worry or obsession um, that is a placeholder to house all of those things, whether we are aware of it or not. Um, it, it buffers kind of an intimacy with life um, that maybe we're just not fully equipped to look at just yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so complex. I mean, it, it has it is. It is such a dynamic place in our life. And I was thinking that, you know, then if, if you put on top of that, that um, there's a sense of responsibility that a lot of people feel about, well, if I don't eat proper way, then I might be responsible for shortening my life or making myself obese or, you know, making myself unwell. And so you put that on top of that, it adds another component. I was wondering if you could speak to that. Yeah. Well, the the pressure, I think that because, I mean, if we look at the headlines, you know, eggs are bad, now they're good again. You know, it's so hard to keep up and it's just flying at us one after the other, after the other. And So um, there becomes a sense of um, like, this becomes a full-time job Mm -hmm. of managing, always managing what we're eating, what we're putting in our mouth. I think there's just a lot of fear, Mm -hmm. a lot of fear if we're not doing it the right way, we're we're destined for diabetes. If we're not doing it the right way, we're destined for cancer. Because I mean, that's what we read. That's what we're surrounded by. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think there was a couple things i you had mentioned with your um, on, on some of your blogs, and one of them is just this concept of food cycling, or um, you know, going into kind of a uh, food cycle process. If you could go in and describe what that is, because I think a lot of people could relate to it. Uh, sure. Well, so food cycling it it always starts very well intended. You know, I think that's the most important thing. There's just so much shame around this topic. And I think a huge part of um, my work and what I believe in is loosening the shame around food in general. Uh, with food cycling, we always start really well-intended. We um, gear up. We get really excited to start a plan. Um, and oftentimes, we shoot too far. We get a little too rigid um, I, I'm going to go ahead and say most of the mainstream dieting you see out there is rigid. Um, it is just rigid, the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what happens is we think that that's normal eating and we think that um, we should you know, feel satisfied and we should be able to accomplish that. But really what ends up happening is um, we are deprived. We're mm-hmm. physically deprived. We're literally not getting enough in when we are on a restrictive side of eating. And so we're not getting enough in. And then mentally we're depriving ourselves. Our, our being needs to know, like I said, close to procreating, you know, eating is the most important thing. Our being needs to know that food is available. And when it's not, we have a mental deprivation. Mm -hmm. 
And so essentially the food cycling is what happens is we, we get into a restrictive cycle. We may not even realize it's restrictive. It's always well-intended. And then here comes the backlash. The backlash is um, very normal, very natural. It's your body doing exactly what it's supposed to do, which is to enter now what would feel maybe like a binge cycle or an overeating cycle. You might feel a sense of out of control. You might be saying, now I'm off the wagon. Um, but this is a really normal, natural pattern to now make up for the restriction that was taking place before. And yeah. so the cycle, the cycle then starts over because now you feel out of control and now you want to get back on a plan again. And then so you do, and then you fall off and you think all of this is your fault when really there is a very strong biological, emotional, mental force that's, that, that will resist that restrictive plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it seems like um, navigating this process and even knowing about it is something that's really not um, discussed when someone's being given a prescription of, say, you know, something that's well intended, you know, to be like an autoimmune or anti-inflammatory diet. And then they go home and, and they have to live with this prescription or try to implement it. And it's almost like that should be, in my, in my opinion, that should be expected if you're going to follow a restricted diet, that there's going to be lots of bumps in the road. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, I, I, oh, excuse me. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, and I was just saying, and I think that if that's the case, if this is something that pretty much most people experience, how do we, how would you say, you know, someone should approach being given a restricted diet? Is it, is it approached with a different set of expectations? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I just, I really want to just high five you through the microphone because I feel like there is just, there is such little awareness around this topic with um, health practitioners in general. Um, and um, I mean, even with nutritionists, um, and so first and foremost, I think anytime we're prescribing someone a food plan or we're making food recommendations, that it's essential to keep in mind that what their relationship to food is. This person in front of me, what is their relationship to food like? Um, we can make anything a diet. We can make anything like, okay, now that's good food and that's bad food and demonize certain foods and put a halo over other foods and get into this food cycling, whether it's um, a fad diet or if it's an autoimmune um, plan. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think first and foremost, uh, what I would recommend is that we're always assessing the person's relationship to food. Um, their rigidity, their level of flexibility. Um, and if they are experiencing a lot of speed bumps, like you said, that's going to be really normal. But if they're really hitting a wall, like right away, mm -hmm. I think that's telling that, um, that there needs to be some healing around the relationship to food mm -hmm. first, first and foremost. And then we can start to move into 
um, you know, like for example, I have several clients that have diabetes. We are not even talking about diabetes. We are talking about relationship to food and healing first and foremost, mm. laying that platform. And then it's amazing when we do that for just a little while, it's amazing how they can start to make choices that don't feel like rights or wrongs mm-hmm. or goods and bads. There's, it's now coming from the inside out. I love that. Yeah. It sounds sustainable because, you know, mm-hmm. it's, if you start with the restriction and there's an underlying um, relationship with food that's on the, on the brink of becoming disordered, it's, they might end up failing at the plan all in all. And, and this, that they might take a step back in their health. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think the worst part about it is then they, then they think they failed again. And uh, they think they can't do it when really we just need to go in and change some things. We need to just update the hardware system. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, our relationship with food starts when we're really, really young. And I was reading something mm-hmm. on one of the blog posts that you wrote, and I could completely relate to like the story about the Oreos um, because, you know, it's like, depending on how your, your upbringing or, childhood adverse events or whatever you were exposed to um food could have become a coping mechanism way early in life and yes and so it served a different purpose and then you grow up and become an adult and you've had this relationship with food ever since you know you you were introduced food and now your the relationship is different and you have to think about it differently but if food has been a comfort and the food has been seen as some sense of comfort to you, where do you, how do you bridge that, that kind of, that world? Mm. Yeah. Like now as an adult, how do you, yeah. Cause you, you gave the example of the Oreos. um, Right. I think you were watching like a show that we all watched growing up. But... Mickey Mouse Club. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, Mickey Mouse. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, right. The story is that from some of my earliest memories, I think even age seven, eight years old, I just remember sitting in front of the TV, eating Oreo after Oreo after Oreo, and then going back for more and then moving on to buttered toast and then moving on to yogurt covered pretzels and on and on. And food became a sense of comfort for me very early on. And I just want to make it clear. There's nothing wrong with these foods. There's nothing wrong with eating those foods. It just clearly became a source of comfort. And there was a disconnection from my body that started really, really early on. Mm-hmm. And so as we become adults, um, I think that we see, oh, we have all of these outdated coping mechanisms that we've been carrying with us through our adult lives. Um, and specifically, many of them revolve around food. And so I think naming, just naming our relationship to food, thinking about our food memories growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of our earliest memories around food and then how have we used food? How has it shown up? And I'm going to use the word helpful. I know it doesn't necessarily feel helpful Mm -hmm. per se when there's maybe some painful ways of relating to food, but whether it was, um, using it as comfort or using as control or both, it really served a purpose for us Mm -hmm. growing on, growing up early on. Um, and it allowed us to get by. 
You know, yeah. when that young girl didn't maybe have the skills to get through um, some of the dysfunctions and her family that, you know, didn't even know I, you know, I've had an anxious temperament from the day I can remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a very sensitive temperament. And I just really saw food being that coping mechanism. So if we follow the food, we get to see, well, what is under that? You know, I got, I got to excavate my, you know, my highly sensitive nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just naming it, naming it as um, a way that, and, and framing it as a, something that really helped us yeah. yeah, early on. And then what do we like, what would we like to do now moving forward? And then there, that's when we start to get, um, a lot of times we get a little boot campy. You know, we want to just get rid of that old pattern right away and, and move on. And this is really, this is a tender process with lots of baby steps and honoring of how we used to do it and now where we're going. Yeah. Um, But I would say a lot of work of reconnecting with our body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think going into a little deeper, as you, you mentioned, that actually sugar and sweetness gives us a sense of survival. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I just wondering if you could comment more about that. Sure. Um, I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, it's one of my, I think, I think every eater should know this. Um, and that is, it, I call it tongue science. Um, yeah. It's the science of our tongue. Yeah. You know, this tongue is designed to love fat, salt, and sugar. Mm-hmm. We are hardwired to eat those foods and to eat a lot of them. I and mean, just a quick story. If you just imagine we used to live outside a long, long time ago and we come across, let's say like a huckleberry bush or a blackberry bush, and we put this berry on our tongue and our tongue would say, mm, eat that. And eat a lot of that, you know, that's a source of a carbohydrate. That's a source of energy. You need that. Now that's before we even knew what a carbohydrate was, but our body, our tongue told us to eat that. Now, if we came across a berry that was bitter, we would know that's toxic. It's a toxic alkaloid. It's poison. We didn't know any of this. We didn't have, this is pre-textbooks, but our tongue told us what to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, same when we come across like a salt source, salt is the most important electrolyte in the body. Again, we didn't know that, but our tongue said, eat that you need that. Mm-hmm. You know, same with fat, the most concentrated form of energy for the body, you know, tongue said, eat that and eat a lot of it because we don't know when you're going to come across that food source again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we are designed to eat these foods and to keep eating them. That is, that's what I call mouth hunger. It's mouth will always say more. It will always say more. Um, and the food industry knows this, you know, it's like the Doritos aisles is like now with more flavor, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. all enhanced for the tongue. Um, and so I think this is, again, I think every eater, I would love for every eater to know this about themselves that we, that we're hardwired to enjoy these foods, to take great pleasure in these foods. Um, and to almost expect that we'll just want to keep having more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I'm staring at an apple right now that's sitting on my desk. And, you know, I was just thinking if, if I actually really slowed down and appreciated what that was actually 
providing from a standpoint of, you know, so many different levels, nutrition, but also taste and the, you know, the, the pleasure it would give me if I actually sat, sat slowed down and ate it, um, it would be an entirely different experience than what I generally see with most of us is, you know, eating our food in front of our computer and just getting it done. Yes. Right. Like standing up in the kitchen and just scarfing. Yeah. Um, right. And, and exactly. I think that's part of, that's part of those sensory receptors in the brain. When we actually give ourselves a moment to taste the food, our brain really can say, Oh, she is getting, or he is getting a meal right now, or he's getting a snack right now. Mm-hmm. But you're right. When we scarf, our brain just doesn't quite get that message. Um, and so there's, there's a lot more mm-hmm. pleasure in the experience, but also a lot more satisfaction. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, when I'm hearing you speak and just reading some of your blog posts and this concept of uh, saboteur versus cheerleader, and then I, I picture that like almost like, um, you know, a seesaw, right? And then if I was to put in the middle of it, this concept that you talk about, which is being, Mm. and it's almost like to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, that being would stop the seesaw or I I wouldn't, I don't want to put it, make it seem that like that's easy, but I would say that perhaps that's where those two worlds would unite. Mm. Yeah. That that being would stop the seesaw of that self-saboteur. Yeah. And I, I'd love for you to kind of, describe to us all like what you mean by a sense of being or being with your presence because um you know i alluded to it here with the apple example but i think you know mm-hmm. it'd be great to hear more about from your perspective yeah um well you know i i think premising it around what i've noticed after decades of my own struggle with food and body and after um you know eight years in private practice I've probably spent more time on this than any other thing in my entire life, really mastering what are the threads that run through people's lives who tend to really yearn for peace around food in their body um, and that are really struggling with that. And one of the threads is um, most of us are just doers. Mm -hmm. Boy, we know how to do. Mm -hmm. We know how to check off that to-do box. We know how to get things done. Um, we are very efficient. Um, we can do almost anything, but just be. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we find ourselves just being, there's can be a sense of rest- restlessness or gosh, you know, I, I got to get out of here. I, what are we doing? What are we doing next? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the practice of being um, which for me has been a host of, you know, meditation practices, yoga practices, um, and, um, mostly just this practice of just being Mm -hmm. what, what happens when we just let ourselves be, um, this might feel like leisurely activity. It might feel like a, um, excruciating activity, Um, but I found that when we really let ourselves just be, when we spend some practice in a being practice, that might be two minutes a day. It might be 20 minutes a day. It might be 
20 minutes once a week, you know, wherever where we're at, starting this being practice of just letting ourselves not do anything. Mm-hmm. And there's many things we can do in that being practice. Um, primarily, I really focus, have focus, people focus on like body, you know, just, can you just feel your toes? Mm-hmm. Have you, when's the last time you just checked in? Like, how do you know you have toes? Mm-hmm. Um, what do those feel like? Um, and, and, and touching base with the sensations in your body. And then now what we're doing is we're opening up our sense doors. We're in touch with, um, you know, maybe sounds that are happening. It, it might feel very basic and elementary, but it is a very rich practice of just being in the present moment. And I found that when we really let ourselves practice this and go through the push and pull of this practice, we really start to fill up. We really start to fill up on life. We're filling up on our senses. And it's also what I call, this is what I call for absorption. We're really letting ourselves absorb Mm -hmm. the present moment Mm -hmm. and absorb the sounds and absorb the sensations and the temperature and then absorbing maybe this taste of like this apple or this beer or this piece of chocolate. We're really letting ourselves absorb it. Um, And that's, that's what I mean by a being practice. And when we get into our being practice, oh my gosh, so many things come to life. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely this connection to, uh, you know, that saboteur, that self judgment that we can really house within, especially around food in our body. Um, we can become more aware of that and we can start to make some really important shifts around that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that when, when we really let ourselves have the bean practice, it's amazing what shifts happen. I think this is where the needle really moved for me mm-hmm. with my relationship to food and body. And then I'm just going to say my relationship to everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I just want to make a point that I think it's really important that anybody who's entering into that, that process or trying to become more present or be in their body more to have someone work with them. Yes. Like a coach, because it can bring up a lot. Yes. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it can be like almost going on a diet, you know, it's, it can, it can also lead to swinging back and forth and feeling that there's too much pain in the present to, to, to cope with. Yes. And I love that point so much. I think that is a huge point. I couldn't agree more. Don't go at it alone. Um, receive guidance through this. Um, and, you know, wherever you are, even if it's a really pleasurable experience at first, you might find some things rising to the surface that yeah. might surprise you. Um, I, I think that's a lot of times why we, we, we really don't be, we keep doing is because when we be, things do surface. Mm-hmm. And this can be really daunting um, and does require a container someone professional to really support you in that process. Um, and um, boy, I welcome it though. Cause then you get to see the reality, what's really occurring, what's really going on internally. Those things don't go away. Mm-hmm. Um, they keep knocking on the door. Um, and so continuing to turn towards it, but then also taking breaks from it. I think that's something I think a lot of our a, you know, a plus students out there are going to, you know, take it all the way and, but also taking breaks from it, not taking it so seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also very important. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. So it, you know, it's on this podcast, we talk a lot about 
the vagus nerve and the digestive process. And while you're speaking about this, I was just thinking about like bringing this to a table and how much more supportive of the digestive system being present and not having sort of negative self-talk going and coming from a place of, you know, um, being in a good relationship with what's on the plate would result in likely in my experience, you know, less of the, the common maladies we see with digestion. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's also, I think, important not to get kind of stuck on looking that as the outcome, because then, you know, we're kind of, again, getting into that cycle of, well, if I eat a certain way, then my digestion will be better. Right, right. Right. I love the vagus nerve conversation. I mean, it's huge. It's so, it's so interconnected. Um, Cause I mentioned anxiety and you know, that vagus nerve, if it's really overstimulated, of course it's going to affect our digestion, mm-hmm. uh, which, um, you know, really impacts kind of our relationship to like hunger and fullness and which is now going to impact our relationship to food. Um, yeah, so the, the highly, very, really, really complex, um, but yeah. I love that point very much. Yeah. Um, with the time left, I just wanted to see if we could get, I wanted to give you some, uh, like a practical example of something I hear in practice a lot and just hear your thoughts on it. So say there's, you know, busy professional mom or dad and coming home and is giving all day to to people and then gives all day to kids. And finally, at the end of the day, the house is quiet and they could go to bed and you know, get a good night's rest. But what generally happens is at that point, they start um, turning towards sweets and mm-hmm. sugar and, you know, just sort of, it's kind of like a ritual. Yeah. And I see this so common. It's almost surprising when I don't see it. Um, uh-huh. You know, that, and I think people really want to learn what this is all about. Is it, and I would just like to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it's a great question. It comes up in my practice all the time as well. I do not, I think that this is a very common situation. So I, I, I'll say a few things about this. Of course, it'll depend on the case and the person. Um, but I I think it's really nice to think of after you've had a really long day and you're coming home and the kids are in sleep, or if you don't even have kids, you're just finally kicking off your shoes and letting your hair down and enter food, right? Enter sugar, enter food. Um, This is the exhale all day long. You have been going, 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 doing, 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 taking care of, taking care of. And then finally, this is your time. Um, and I know that sometimes people are going, gosh, I'd really love to do something else other than eat a bunch of food or, you know, not have this as my coping mechanism. I think it's so important for us to be very kind to ourselves and, and, and frame it as this is the discharge. Mm -hmm. Um, we were talking about the vagus nerve just a moment ago. If the nervous system is just, um, all kind of bent out of shape all day long. We lead such busy lives. We lead such packed lives. 
And we have to think of it, I think, from a nervous system perspective. That nervous system has been kind of like tightly, it's been tightly winding all day long, winding, 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 winding. And by the time we get to the end of our day, this is the unwind. Mm -hmm. And food is a great way to just totally exhale, to finally just have a sense of escape. Um, I, I work with a lot of people pleasers who are kind of you know, just working diligently all day, making people happy, their clients or their boss or other people. It's become a long time habit of theirs. Um, and so there can be a sense of like, I just get to do whatever I want to do and I get to eat whatever I want to eat. And so mm -hmm. there can be a little bit of a, um, psychology there, a little backlash of no one can tell me what to do. I'm going to do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. So I see that a lot. Um, and, um, so I think it's really important to think of it as a nervous system component. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would say, and I'm sure that this is something you talk about with your clients with is, um, we don't, we really struggle as a culture to take care of ourselves. And I mean, to like radically to take care of ourselves. Yes. Like soul care. But I also think we, we really struggle in very basic ways of just eating regularly throughout the day. Um, and I think it's so important for us to understand, like if we haven't eaten regularly, meaning, you know, about every three to four hours, um, and there, and meals were maybe imbalanced. There wasn't like a source of protein, fat, and carbohydrate in that meal. Um, at a cellular level, we're just not satisfied. Mm -hmm. And, um, so the body, we can't fool the body. The body knows it's gone all day and it didn't quite get what it needed. And then here comes the end of the day. Finally, there's some time and it's like a, it's like a way of making up for what we didn't get mm -hmm. or what we needed. You know, there's just a sense of at a cellular level, a little bit of famine that took place, you know, and some people might be listening to this and saying, Oh, there's no way it's a famine. I ate plenty, mm -hmm. but it's really important that it, it happened in complete meals. Um, and if that didn't take place, then at a cellular level, the body's going to be going, gosh, I just, just quite didn't get what I needed. And then the cells are smart. They think of, okay, well, what's the quickest form of energy that I can get to, to, um, to, to, you know, counterbalance, counter, counterbalance what occurred earlier. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it's the carbohydrate. It's a craving for carbohydrate. Mm -hmm. So I'd say like from a physical standpoint, a metabolic standpoint, uh, I think that's really important that folks are understanding that too, because I think they think it's their fault when really it's just their, their cells trying to make up for what they didn't get earlier in the day. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I love, I think one of the concepts that you, you come back to is that these behaviors or um, sort of rituals or traditions that we have, they, they're messengers for, us right it's you know they're telling us to look inward and say you know what is this serving in my life what is it giving me that um that i'm not currently meeting in other ways absolutely absolutely i think that's what i mean by it like it's about the food and it's also not about the food so yeah um, yeah you can have a aura ring on your finger or you could do this it's biofeedback yeah it is it's a, it's a form of feedback and i think yeah. when we start to really look at it that way when we get curious enough and we don't have all that judgment 
leading the way and we really start to get curious about, oh, you know, what could be going on here um, and, and, and open ourselves up to um, just the, like you say, these things as messengers, mm-hmm. um, there's so much to discover there. Um, and so it does require kind of like lifting it up, kind of almost like not taking it personally. I say, put on your lab coat, put on your white lab coat, pretend you're the scientist of your life and really observe and get to know this pattern. It has messages for you, really yeah. important ones. Um, but I think we really get stuck in, in judgment and thinking, oh, we're just an old dog that can't learn new tricks. Um, but boy, I think, I mean, you and I would both agree we're seeing that that's absolutely not true. Our brain science is pretty spot on on that neuroplasticity. We can really change our lives. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the most um, profound forms of self-love that I've seen my patients demonstrate are people who start to kind of observe themselves from a loving, compassionate place and just really listen to what they're needing and start to address it. It's, it's almost like when I see that happen, I pretty much feel like the patient or the client is graduating from my care. It's, mm-hmm. it's one of those moments where I see people who are moving in that direction. They are becoming their, their own healers. That is so neat, right? And it, it's, it's their mindset and the way they're relating to themselves first and foremost, that's mm-hmm. creating that. I, I couldn't agree more. That's exactly what I see with my clients as well. And I often say kindness is the most important nutrient. Mm, I love that. Um, you know, it, you know, if we can really be kind to ourselves and, and some people listen to this and they're thinking, Oh, that's like giving up or, you know, that's like not trying hard. Believe me, it is, it is hard to practice self-kindness techniques. Mm, you know, mm. I, there's plenty of effort in, in that practice if you're looking for some, um, but if we really let ourselves um, start to nourish ourselves, um, thinking about not just the food we're consuming, but the thoughts we're consuming, mm-hmm. we're really letting ourselves feel and embrace our emotions. Um, if we're connecting with our body and if we're, you know, if we're practicing this kindness practice, it's amazing the difference it can make in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Mackenzie, you've been very generous with your time today and and I thank you very much. And uh, I was just wanting to give you a chance to tell us just in conclusion, maybe a few take home points and then how um, people could reach you. And if you're accepting clients and those sorts of things. Sure. Take home points. Let's see. Hmm, how many do I get? <laughs> as many as you want. <laughs> I would say in this in this moment, um, uh, take on point is um, you know I just bringing it back to um, food and body struggle. Uh, like we said in sort of the beginning stages of our episode here, that a lot of times there's it's just not something that we share with people. We're kind of silently suffering and. Um, I uh, would like to share as a take-home point that that there is there's so much waiting for you in this journey, and there is a lot of shame and there's a lot of guilt. Um, but please find a professional to work through this. Um, there are very qualified professionals that can help you through this um, that are highly non-judgmental. And um, I think on that note, you know, making sure that 
something I really believe in right now, um, Adam, is just making sure people know um, to work with a master's level nutritionist or a counselor who specializes in this mm-hmm. or somebody who really specializes in this because um, there's a lot of things out there right now um, that are concerning. So really making sure the person you're working with is credentialed. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, there's, there's uh, no shame there's no shame in talking to anyone about this and there, there is light at the end of the tunnel with it. Mm. Um, as for me, my, my practice is, uh, very full. Uh, and, um, I am currently turning away patients, but you never know. There's sometimes if you reach me at the right time, sometimes it works out. Um, but I am in the process of, um, dreaming about some more group programs. I ran group programs over uh, virtually um, a couple times, and I'm I'm dreaming that up again. I'm just coming back from maternity leave, so I'm not quite sure what that's going to look like. But mm-hmm. I do I do foresee something like that coming around the corner here. Great, and you have a blog post. Um, do you get on there fairly often, or is it something that um, people you know can go there and and I know there's there's some downloadable um, programs on your blog post? Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, at www.internutritionist.com, there's some great resources there. There's a workbook there that's very thorough. Um, I threw a lot of uh, time and tips into that workbook. So please take a look at that. I also have the blog posts and um, reasonably active on um, Instagram. I currently have kind of a love-hate relationship to social media, um, but I am pretty active on Instagram for the most part. Um, so those are some great ways to keep in touch. Excellent. Well, thanks for your time. This was really helpful and I learned a lot and, you know, it moved me, um, in many ways. Um, so thank you for sharing such an authentic approach to nutrition and psychology and spirituality. Thank you, Adam. It was really a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Um, I hope to keep in touch with you soon. Take care. Take care. Okay. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I want to just leave you with some resources that you can follow up with regarding this topic of healthy relationships with food and also disordered eating. So Mackenzie talked about the um, food science as far as like taste and um, how taste syncs up with our brain and some of our survival mechanisms. I'd like to turn you to The Hungry Brain by Dr. Stephen Guionet. It's an excellent book that goes into this in great detail and um, can also enlighten people on metabolism. And also, I just want to make sure that people reach out to their primary care physician if they think that they're dealing with an eating disorder or if they're having problems or shame around food. Um, This is something that should be held gently with anybody you work with. And and I hope that people have learned from this episode that there is a voice that you can give to this and to reach out. Um, If anybody's having any problems finding a counselor or nutritionist or someone to help them with this issue, you can contact me and I'll do my best to sync you up with, with someone. The, the other thing that um, Kenzie's um, involved with is she's involved with um, something called 
health at every size. And for people who are having problems with sort of making a relationship with their body weight and body acceptance, um, I encourage you to go to the haescommunity.com website. That's health at every size website. Hope this was helpful. Thank you again, and we'll see you next time.